Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. So as we get started here, um, I thought I'd start with, with a story or two. So I was looking back and, and thinking about things even through my life, and learning from other people has always been important to me. I can think back to a time when, when somebody much older and wiser than I took the time to explain how every morning when they got up, the first thing they did as they awoke was spend time in prayer. It was their act of saying, hey, I'm going to make sure that God is first in my day. So they started their day with prayer. thought that was a good lesson. I, I attempted to learn from them in that. Uh, another one that was shared was um, one where, where I can think back. I was one of the leaders in a church in Minnesota, and there was a couple that was two couples much older than me, and they had the gall to ask me, hey, so how is your giving going? And I remember talking to them and how God provided and how they challenged me and Eve to give above and beyond. This was before we had kids or anything, and they shared how God had provided for and blessed them through their giving. And then I can think of another time, and this is back when I was my son Micah's age, probably about 14, and I was sitting, and I, I remember being in the church that we were in out in New Hampshire, which that's how I became a Patriots fan, don't hold it against me. But when I lived in New Hampshire, and they were talking about how it's important to pray for your spouse, and that all makes sense to somebody who's married, you get the whole idea of praying for your spouse, but they challenged us as teens to start praying for our spouses. And, and what that could look like. Pray for them that, that God would teach them what they need to know, that he would prepare them for you, and that it would pray, prepare you for them. And so we started talking about that. And I decided I'd start applying that and see what it would look like. So there was a couple holy moments in my prayers. Uh, I did pray that my future wife would love Jesus. I prayed that they would have a relationship with him and want to know him more. And also along that spiritual line, I prayed that they'd be beautiful. That's somewhere in the Bible. Um, and that my friends would like them, whoever they would be. Those were some of the things that I had prayed for. And this was, this was seven years or so prior to ever even meeting Eve. I was 14. I met her at like 20. Um, so at this point, I didn't even know who she was, but I decided I was going to start praying for her. And then I ended up at University of Sioux Falls, had been there, and met this, met my wife and started going through my checklist because I knew early on, okay, not real early because initially I tried to set her up with my brother, but that's a different story. Um, relatively early on, I knew that she was going to be my wife because I went through the, this, this list of things that I'd been praying for and I saw how God had answered. I saw that, that in our conversation, she talked about how she had come to, Christ, to know Christ as her savior on a trip with her mom and she had seen a tract and asked her mom what that meant. And, um, and she chose to accept Christ as her Savior at that point. I knew that she was interested in, in being involved in a church because the church that I was a youth leader at, she was showing up at with some friends. So I thought, okay, so I know that. I knew she wanted to grow and know Jesus more and learn more about him also because she would tell me about things that she was learning in classes and in school. And of course she was cute, so that one I could always check off the list. And I had friends that were trying to date her, so I knew that my friends liked her. 
So the reality was, I was like, okay, God, I think this is the one that you have for me. You've, you've gone through and checked all the boxes off of, my, off of my list. My point with all of this is at some point when we pray for something, we may not even know how God's going to answer, but we can start praying and see how he does in the future. We're going to talk about the life of Esther today and how she was an answer to a prayer. But before I get to that, I do want to start with, with prayer. God, I thank you so much for today, and I ask that you would truly be the one speaking, that you would send your spirit today to speak through me, that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be yours. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, we're going to go through the story of Esther, and I'm going to try and keep this short because I've promised John that he'd have 10 minutes to speak at the end, and, well, I'll leave the pastor joke about speaking short off the list. Um, so let, let's go right through here to Esther, and we'll go with a brief backstory for those of us who don't know it. We're going to start in Esther chapter 4 is where we're going to get to. But to give you the backstory, uh, there is a king, King Xerxes, who he rules this huge area. Uh, like I think it's 127 provinces. It goes from India all the way over to, I can't even remember where. Um, but it's a, it's a vast empire that he's ruling. And one, one time he's having this party. And he invites a bunch of other rulers and important people to come hang out with him and celebrate. So they're in this party, while, they're, while things are going on, he decides that he wants to show off his queen. And so he's like, hey, Queen Vashti, who was his queen at the time, I want you to come hang out. I want to show you off. And she says, no, I don't think so. Now, you can imagine when you're a ruler of a huge empire and you're telling all of your friends about how great your wife is, and then she says, no, I'm not going to show up, how humiliated you can be, and that's where he was at. And so he gets mad and says, gets advice from his, his counsel and says, she's no longer going to be my queen, I need to find a new one. And for, let me pause there, if you're married, this is not prescriptive, this is not applying to you. So, okay, for the rest of us, though, as the story goes on, she is... Um, he, he, I'm sorry, King Xerxes is looking around saying, okay, I need to find somebody. So they go, they pick out some of the most beautiful women in all of his, his kingdom and bring them in for a 12-month preparation. So before he even meets them, they go through 12 months of preparation. Now during this 12 months, all of this is happening in the first few uh, chapters of Esther. During these months, we meet Esther. Esther's chosen and she becomes one of the, the people that goes through the 12-month process and she becomes eventually queen. Now Esther is a Jew and she doesn't make that known to, thanks to the advice of, of her father figure, but she is a Jew. Her father figure is Mordecai. Mordecai in this, he's serving in the temple and is an important person there in King Xerxes' staff. In fact, we hear that he actually saves, he actually saves the king's life at one point. And also, while this is going on, we learn about Mordecai. Uh, we learn about King Xerxes' second in command. He has a guy who, who named Naaman or Haman. I'm sorry. Who he has given all the power that he has. Essentially, he's the second in command over all this kingdom. And King Xerxes is kind of on a power. I'm sorry. Haman is on, on this power trip. Haman decides he wants everybody in the nation to bow down to him. And so he makes this edict that everybody needs to bow down. Now, he comes to Mordecai, and Mordecai refuses to bow down. And he gets livid. He goes to his friends and says, hey, what do I do? Mordecai won't bow. How do I handle it? 
And his friends give him the advice of, let's execute everybody that's a Jew. And so that's kind of the decision that's made, is he sends this edict throughout all of the land that all Jews, and about this time there was 15 million or so, it's estimated, in the kingdom. All 15 million of these Jews are going to be executed. And that's where we're going to pick up here in Esther chapter 4. It says this, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly, but went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province in which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes to him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went, throughout, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go to the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So really what she's saying there is, if she goes and sees the king, there's two things that can happen. One, he can hold out his scepter, and that means, okay, good, I'm, I'm accepted in here. Or two is, she can get executed. So there, there's a 50-50 chance that this goes well. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So then as we read on in the, the next chapters, she does go to the king. She meets with him a couple of times. He doesn't execute her, and finds out what was going on and what Haman's plan was. Haman finds out that, oh my goodness, I just sentenced the queen to death, and the king's not taking that very well, and then Haman dies. That's the short version, or the, the summary version of all of that. But I want to I get into a, a couple points from this and a couple things that, that jump out to me. Um, first thing I want to say is, Purposeful prayer is powerful. Purposeful prayer is powerful. Esther was living in her castle, oblivious to everything that was going on. She had no idea that she had been sentenced to death. In fact, until she sees Mordecai out there in sackcloth and ashes, she doesn't even realize that, that this edict has gone out. And so she's sitting there oblivious. And yet we find out early on in, in the verses at the start of the chapter that that Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes praying. 
he was out there praying. And we know that the other Jews were praying. Um, we know that because when they were fasting, which it clearly says, fasting was accompanied by prayer. So we know that that's going on. And so Mordecai's there crying out to God, and Esther gets a copy of this, this edict back from, from Mordecai, and it says, hey, you're going to die. All of us Jews are going to die. She now knows what's going on. Eventually, Esther concedes. She goes to the king. She calls on Mordecai and the Jews to all continue to pray and fast. But she doesn't always call, only call them to do this. She says that she will do the same, not just her, but also all of her attendants. And as we read the book of Esther, what I, what I want to call out on this is we can see how at the beginning of this chapter, there were people praying for an answer. But we can see even before that, God knew that this was going to happen. He knew what was coming, just like he knows in your life and mine what's coming. And he's already planning ahead. He had already orchestrated everything to this point to where Esther was going to be in a position of authority, in a position to go see the king. All of us have the ability to pray and to talk directly to God. I want to go to James 5.16. I love what it says when it says this. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We are told to pray for each other. It's not an option. It's not one of those things that is suggested. We're told that we should do it. So I guess I would challenge each of us in this room to look back and go, how have you been praying this last week? We try every week to send out a list of prayer requests for people in the church. Have you taken the time to read that and pray for those people? We try and gather on, not try to, we gather 9, 10 on Sunday mornings to give people a chance to pray together. And again, if you aren't there, that's fine. It's not a requirement. God's not looking down in judgment. But it's one opportunity for you to get together and pray with us. My point in all this is that prayer is powerful. Let's make sure that we're taking the time to do it. And we're not going to do an entire series right now on prayer. If you want to look back, we did one. Um, and you can find that in the different archives. But let me encourage you in something that Keith had said. He had talked about we're going into a new year. We get a chance to build on a new decade. We just need that foundation to build on. And I would encourage you, if we truly believe that prayer is powerful and effective, this would be a great time to say, okay, I'm going to start praying in the morning, or I'm going to make a commitment to pray with my spouse every day, or maybe it's I'm going to pray with my family every day or teach them to pray. I'm not going to tell you exactly what you need to do because that's really between you and God, and the Holy Spirit will lead you in that. But I would encourage you, make time to pray. Make that a commitment in 2020. All right, my other takeaway is that you are the answer or maybe the answer to someone else's prayer. In Esther 4.14, we see this. We see... Oh, In Esther 4, verse 14, we see this. It says, And who knows, but maybe you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. God had been answering the prayers of Mordecai and the Jews long before Esther got, uh, before this edict went out. He had coordinated so that Esther was in the temple at this time, or in the, in the um, castle at this time, in the um, royal position, for that time and purpose. And as we read this, you've probably read it before, you've probably heard it before, it's often one of those, you're called for such a time as this, it's like that rallying cry thing. But what I want you not to miss is that this truly is a reprimand. This wasn't 
This wasn't Mordecai saying, hey, let's go do this thing. He's saying, listen, God's put you there. You're giving me all these excuses about dying or whatever. He's put you there for this time and this purpose right now. And if you choose not to do it, that's your choice. God's going to do what he's going to do, and he's going to save his people. You can choose whether or not you're going to be a part of it. That's really what he's saying. And she has a choice to make. And we know, again, that, that after he says, hey, don't be naive. God's put you here. Let's get it done. That she does move forward, and it does work out, and the people are saved. But I look at this, and I want some, to bring a couple other things out to you. I think back to what I was saying about meeting Eve, and I firmly believe that that was the answer to a prayer that started seven years before I had even known who she was or knew that she existed, and five years before I ended up at the University of Sioux Falls. God coordinated that because he knew what he was doing, and he was working ahead. So for each of us, let's see how this applies. If you are in education and working with students, there is a good chance that God has put you there for some purpose. It may be for that, t that other teacher you're with. It may be for another student that's there. But God's put you there for a purpose, and I don't know what it is, but he does. So be open to that. You may even know why it's there. Maybe you're in construction, and God is saying, hey, I put you here because of this person that you're building a home for or you're doing some work for or that other person on the crew with you because you have something to bring to them. Maybe you are in... Uh, uh, law enforcement, and you don't realize it, but you're the answer to a prayer of a grandma, a mom, a son, a daughter, somebody crying out to God saying, man, Lord, I need so-and-so to, co to come to you, and I can't seem to reach them, but you have an opportunity in law enforcement that's unique to you. I know even in the medical field, you're seeing people at their lowest times sometimes where people are going through hard diagnoses, I don't know if that's the plural or not, but you're going through those hard times and, and God's given you an opportunity. And who knows, maybe that's why he's called you to that. And maybe it's not a career. Maybe it's you as a parent. Maybe it's you as a parent going, well, God's called you and put you in a position for your kids. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I know that he's called us to raise our kids up in the love of him and following him. And so maybe that's what it is. And your kid is going to make an impact. Or maybe your kid isn't even going to build the next major building or isn't going to go to the moon or isn't going to be a president. Maybe they are. But maybe they're going to lead someone else to the Lord. Who's going to lead someone else to the Lord? Who knows how God's going to use you? But there's probably a reason. And students, you don't get out of this either because you have a chance to impact kids. You have a chance to be that person. Who knows? You might be that person that gets a chance to when that parent is praying for their kids, but that parent can't seem to reach them, that you get a chance to do that. God may have put you in that position for such a time as this. And John, to you, I just want to say, I truly believe that God has put you in the position you are for such a time as this. I believe it because I see the church in rural America, and I know that you're going into a season where you're going to get a chance to work with pastors and speak with them even more. And I know that there's people praying in these small towns. There's probably pastors praying, saying, God, I need help. And I truly believe that God has called you into that. And so as a church, I want to be supportive of you of that. And I want to just, just acknowledge that calling in your life as you transition to this next point. Hopefully all of us get the idea that 
that God wants you to serve and has likely put you where you are for a time and a purpose like this. But for those of you who don't know Jesus, none of this applies to you yet. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, he doesn't hear your prayers. We're told it's the prayer of a righteous man that avails much, and the only way we become righteous is through Christ's death on the cross. So if there's anyone in here, and I know most of you, so this probably doesn't apply to 99% of us, but if any of you don't know Jesus, there is no time like the present to say, God, I need you. I realize that I am not perfect, that I fall short of your commands and of your intent and for me. And I know that I can't come to you except through your son Jesus' death on the cross. That's all it takes. It's, it's as simple but as hard as that to do. So as we go to prayer right now, I just want to say, if you are at a point where you need to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, any of the people up here on this stage would love to, have talked to, you, would love to talk to you about it, and we'd love to celebrate with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that, that we are told the prayer of a righteous person is going to uh, bring results, and so we're thankful for that. I thank you that you have called each of us to where we are for a purpose, that it doesn't happen on accident, whether we are in schools or in factories or on job sites, wherever we might be, that you, God, have put us in a position where we're at for a time like this. God, use us today, use us this week, use us in our lives, and don't let us be comfortable in where we're at if we're not where you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.